Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Often on this show, I discuss unfair imprisonment of black men in comparison to white men. Today's story is a first for my show as the perpetrator in question begged the court to keep him in prison for longer. Today, we will cover the story of Crazy Dave. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime In It. David Edward Moss was born in Connellsville, Pennsylvania on April 5th, 1954 to parents George and Eva Moss. He was the second oldest of four children and he was raised in an apartment off of North Mozart Street. According to his mother, David had violent tendencies from a very young age. Eva recalls her son's childhood, and this is a quote from her, he was always that way from the time he can walk. Every time I tried to do anything with David, like trying to teach him right from wrong, everybody would just pet him and buy him stuff. It just made it difficult. End quote. Eva also remembers that at the age of two, David used to throw heavy objects at his one-year-old sister's head. Before going on, I must note that you should take Eva's claims with a grain of salt. Eva herself suffers from psychotic episodes and was known to stretch the truth when it came to talking about her son, David. In fact, when David was seven, his parents divorced and his mom began raising him on his own. She was only able to raise him for two years before she felt like it was becoming too much. Jeffrey, David's older brother, recalls an incident from this time when he brought David to the park and Jeffrey was holding a baseball bat. David then took the bat and proceeded to beat a nearby squirrel to death. And so there was a clear issue going on with David. However, I need to note that not everyone saw it that way. When David became too much for Eva to handle at the age of nine, she placed him in a psychiatric hospital for children. Now, the people who worked at this psychiatric hospital claimed that they did not see any troubling behavior with David. So these workers may be biased because most of the children in their care were not mentally ill, but a product of mentally ill family who could not provide proper care for them. And the hospital felt like Eva just, and they used this word, dumped him there. At these facilities, you know, they strive for unification of families. So when they would try to set up home visits where David could visit his family, Eva just did not want him there. And the facility did not find any evidence of David being violent or having troubling behavior. So they questioned Eva further, asking for specific incidents. And instead of giving specific incidents, according to the facility, she said that she just doesn't want him at home, end quote, which 
which is just so disheartening and unbelievably sad. I don't want to put blame on Eva because she had four kids of her own, suffered from a debilitating mental illness where she herself spent a month in a psychiatric hospital. And according to those around her, she was just barely functioning. Eva maintains that she did not willingly give up on David. She states, I did love him. I put up with him for a long time. I didn't ask for them to take him. I would have kept him at home and tried to treat him like the rest. This statement in itself is enough for me to see that she just did not want him or treat him like his other siblings. And again, I can't blame her because as a mother, she can only give what she has. And with her being mentally ill herself, uh, she just didn't have much to give. It's just sad all the way around. That being said, his brother Jeffrey believes that David was sexually assaulted as a young child by a family member, and he thinks that this is the root of David's issues. When David was nine, he set Jeffrey's bed on fire, and later that year, he tried to drown him by holding his head underwater when they were swimming in a lagoon. So David had violent tendencies, but for whatever reason, the trained professionals at the psychiatric hospital just did not notice them. And that could be for many reasons, ranging from incompetence to just his behavior being triggered by his environment. When David was discharged from the hospital at age 13, he was then sent to live at a children's home where another boy coerced him into a kiss. And Though David said that the attack did not go further than a kiss, it is believed that it it did go further just based upon how the incident affected his life. Some news outlets speculate that the encounter could have been consensual and David could just have felt ashamed about his sexuality. And this incident just turned a switch in David's head and it haunted him for the rest of his life. After this incident, David became violent towards the boys that lived with him at the children's home. In 1969, he choked a boy named Eddie while they were playing. As a man, years later, he writes in his diary, for no reason at all, I started to choke him. I told him I was sorry, and he said it was okay. Eddie was the first person I hurt. End quote. Later, at the age of 15, David attempted to strangle a boy named Daniel with a rope for no apparent reason. The two were just sitting together watching TV. Of the incident, David wrote, I could not stop. I had no reason to be doing this to him. I told myself this is enough and I quit and then I let go of the rope and Daniel fell to the floor. It was like I was trapped inside of me and someone else was trying to kill Daniel and I could not stop. End quote. These incidents did not go unnoticed, and he was admitted again into a psychiatric hospital where he escaped and went back to his mother's house. And when he arrived there unannounced, he did not get the welcoming that he wanted. Eva held a knife to her son, telling him to get out or else she will stab him. Later, she apologized for this incident, but you can just imagine the trauma on both sides here. Your son, who has attempted murder twice, escapes from a psychiatric hospital and just shows up at your house. That's terrifying. And then on David's side, he just wanted to be with his mom and he couldn't understand why she was rejecting him. Not knowing what to do with her son, Eva helped him to enlist in the military. By now, David was 17 and the year was 1971. So yes, we are in the midst of the Vietnam War at this point. 
And somehow, despite his medical history, possibly because they were looking for anybody at this point, David passed basic training and was stationed in Germany. And the structured life of the military seemed to help him. In the military, he became a pretty good bowler. I think his highest score was 297. And he was part of the Army Bowling League. And he often won awards and even cash prizes for his accomplishments in the sport. Three years into his service, though, something in David just broke. Now, we only have David's side of the story here. But while in Germany, David befriended 13-year-old Jimmy McLister, the son of U.S. expats. David woke up in his room to find Jimmy sleeping on top of him. And both were naked. And though it is clear that David was grooming and assaulting Jimmy, who again was only 13, David felt that he was the one being attacked here. No sense. David then killed Jimmy a month later. Strangely, he planned a murder seven months before and he waited so long because he was waiting for Jimmy's hair to grow out, which obviously doesn't make any sense and just shows David's mental state at the time. And so he took Jimmy on a moped ride to the woods where he tied him to a tree and beat him to death. And he recalls after the incident, I was angry with myself because I did not know what to do for the boy now. So I picked Jimmy up so I could take him deep in the woods to hide him. And after about 10 feet, Jimmy died in my arms. I put leaves over him to hide him and then I left the woods. And he wrote all of this in his diary. David actually hid Jimmy's body in a bomb crater. And when the body was found, David claimed that he died as a result of a moped accident caused by teenagers tampering with his moped. But because of lack of evidence, David was only charged with manslaughter and was sentenced to three years in prison in Kansas. Now, Jimmy was beaten to death while David had no injuries. A moped accident just would not explain Jimmy's brutal murder. And so once again, the system failed everyone in that community. David was a free man in 1977 and hell-bent on continuing a path of destruction that will affect generations. We will continue David's story next week. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime and Knit. For more information, including show notes, please visit www.thedrugnator.com slash truecrime. And now it's time to hear from our sponsors. So as a mom, literally my only time to myself, my only me time is when I get into the shower. And today's sponsor, Way, is helping me up my shower game with their Melrose Place Body Cleanser. This cleanser balances out and nourishes your skin. And it just has this really luxurious lather that just turns my shower experience into the spa day that I crave every single day. Experience the new Melrose Place Body Creme and Body Cleanser. Your body your way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use code believe B-L-E-A-V to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com code believe. And now it's time for our knitter mission.
So I am super excited. I have my latest project on the needles and I've been knitting it this whole time I was recording, but look at that. Is that a semi afterthought pocket? This is my second design only that has a pocket and I'm super excited about it. It's gonna be super easy. You just throw in what this is and if you're watching, you can see it. If you're not watching, you can't, but essentially a semi afterthought pocket is when you insert lifelines and you're knitting where you want your pocket to go. So that way, when you're done knitting your garment, you can then go in and take out the lifeline, slip those stitches onto your needles and just start knitting your pocket without too much of a hassle. It's pretty cool. And it just creates a nice clean pocket. I don't like pockets that are just just tacked on the outside. I like my pockets to be on the inside. It looks better. It's cleaner. And it just holds up better, in my opinion. So I'm super excited to have this method out and I'm gonna be looking for testers soon. So if you would like to test for me, make sure you join my mailing list and make sure that you are following me on Instagram because that's where you're going to find all of my call for tester posts. And the cool thing about this sweater is that it it costs 30 bucks to make. I'm using Wool Ease by Lion Brand. It's one of my favorite yarns. And what I like about it, it's about like what, like four to five bucks a skein. And it's quite a big skein. It's about, it's 85 grams, which is pretty good. And um, it's worsted weight. So you get quite a bit of yardage out of that. And what's cool is that it's a wool acrylic blend. So you get all the goodness of wool where it's easy to block and it's warm, but you get the affordability of the acrylic mixed in there along with the easy to care for. So this yarn, I can literally knit my sweater and then throw it in the washer and dryer and it will look just fine. Like it's amazing. And that's why I like it. And you can buy this yarn anywhere. You know, I love supporting small companies and uh, small businesses, but I also like the accessibility of store-bought uh, big box store yarn and finding yarn that can put up with years and years of use and be affordable. So that's pretty much my goal recently since the great panini press. I'm super excited with this particular yarn, Woolies. And they make a thicker Woolies. I think it's called Thick and Quick. And it's not my favorite. It's loosely plied nowadays. And it's super soft, which means that it will pill very easily. And that just bugs me. And on top of that, I find it a little itchy. I don't know why. So if you're looking for Woolies, make sure you get the worsted one just because it is less pilly. It's a little firmer, so it's not going to pill and it just holds up better with time. And so in case you are wondering, I am currently designing the, the cardigan this cardigan, it has after that pockets as I super excitedly just blurted out. But what I also like about it is instead of shaping on the sides, I have ribbing. And I just noticed this little tidbit. Ann Bud wrote about it in her book and top down sweater making. And I never noticed this tidbit before. And I've seen people use ribbing as a way to add shaping to a sweater 
without adding shaping to a sweater so that way um, it can fit the body better because ribbing is more elastic you know it stretches and so I was super intrigued by that and I also like the way ribbing looks against reverse stockinette it just pops out nicely and I plan on carrying the ribbing all the way up to the shoulders it's going to be a drop sleeve I'm going to cast on stitches in ribbing for the drop sleeve to make it look you know kind of cool and it's going to be super simple construction, beginner friendly, but it's going to look cool. And my my favorite part about this sweater is that it's got it's in reverse stockinette, okay? But the problem with reverse stockinette, when you do your sleeves in the round, you're going to be purling until your thumbs fall off. And so what I plan on doing is knitting the sleeve inside out. And this is a thing, this is not a thing. This is a technique that I've been using for a while where if it's a lot of purling in, in the round, I just work a double stitch or a, what's it called? Like when you do, a, sh- a short row like you like you wrap your stitch there you go you wrap your stitch and then you just turn your work and then you just work the wrap stitch as you would in a short row but you're not short rowing you're just working inside out without a gap and no one would be the wiser and it would be the fastest reverse stockinette sleeve you'll ever do in your life because there's be just all knitting baby it is amazing so i'm super excited for that and while i've been doing that i also, I also had a pattern released this weekend. I released a pattern with Neutrino called the Pacifica Mitten. It is a super warm mitten using untreated wool. And what I adore about it is that it's literally 20 degrees where I live right now. And when I was taking photos of the sample, you know, I'm wearing it and it's just so cozy and warm. And Usually when it comes to mittens and warmth, it's mostly if you have thrummed mittens or if it's a really tight gauge that took forever and, you know, but this is a kind of like air and weight yarn, a bigger gauge. And the warmth really came from the Gansey motifs within the mitten. And a Gansey motif is essentially when you work knits and pearls to form a pattern. So like you may have noticed diamond shapes in knitting or heart shapes or zigzags and it's usually just pearls stitches artfully arranged to create that well it doesn't just look nice when you do gansies but it also adds thickness and warmth to the garment and that's kind of the whole point of them was to add warmth and so that's what I wanted to accomplish when making the charts for the Pacifica originally it was going to be a sweater but we decided to downsize it into a mitten to make it more accessible and a quick knit and a great introduction to Gansies and so I highly recommend if you want to practice your your chart reading. This pattern is a great one to start with, okay? Because not only it has it been tested, so the chart's correct, but also um, because it uses the app Neutrino, where have your access to your pattern on your phone, tablet, whatever you got. And then um, it will tell you what each stitch is in the chart. You can click a stitch and it will show you an informational video on how to work that stitch. And it helps you keep track of what rows or rounds you've done so far. So if you are afraid of charts, Neutrino is definitely the way to go because 
they break it down for you. And it's a woman owned business. And they're not paying me to say this, FYI. This is just something that I strongly believe in. And last but not least, before I go, I do want to mention my book is out on Amazon. And it would really help if you guys write reviews on Amazon. I woke up to a great surprise this week. My book was number one bestseller in the fashion category and in the textile category. So I was super excited about that. I don't know how this happened. I don't know. I'm I'm still in shock. And as a result, I'm speechless. Like, (laughs) I'm completely speechless. So I just want to thank you guys for all of your love and support. And if you love the book, I've been getting some great feedback from you guys that I absolutely enjoy um, reading all your emails and things like that. But if you did love it, Don't forget to leave a review on Amazon so that way everyone can just see and it'll just help me out. So anyway, that was a knitter mission and we will be back with part two of this episode next Monday. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.